things are happening at youth camp. You know, there's some people that believe the miraculous has stopped. I feel sorry for them, don't you? Even there's a, a book that's out that uh, the cessation of the of the miracles, and um, undoubtedly the Lord has not been informed that the miraculous has stopped happening. He is still doing the miraculous. One of the greatest miracles that can happen in a person's life is salvation, a total transformation. Not that you signed up for something. It's it's a remaking of us. Beyond ourselves. So I want to share a message with you, with, with you this morning on foundations. And that's just as creative as I could get. So there it is. Foundations. Um, we're almost uh, to our July the 4th celebration Tuesday. About halfway through 2023. It's been a very busy time of the year. Um, but in my reference to foundations... You know, the trade centers, uh, the twin towers of the World Trade Centers went down in a horrific scene on September the 11th, 2001. It was believed that those buildings could not be brought down, but uh, the weight of the top part of those buildings as the uh, steel structure underneath everything started melting, it just, uh, the rest of the building couldn't withstand it, but it wasn't the first attack on the Trade Center. Um, I thought about this. 2001, there's a lot of people in this room that was born after 2001, but there was another. Do you remember another attempt on the World Trade Center? 1993. 1993. Who said that? Scott Cochran. 1993. Six terrorists and you know, I, I'm not going to go much into detail, but six terrorists and the FBI had an informant working within this group. So you figure out how that came about, that it wasn't stopped. So I'll just stop there. But they had a 1,400-pound nitrate hydrogen explosive device packed into a van and they parked it under the north tower of the World Trade Center, and they believed in their calculations that when that was detonated, that the North Tower would give way and crash into the South Tower and would do away with both of them. Well, it did some damage. It killed six people, injured a number of other people, but they didn't realize that the foundation of the World Trade Center went 70 feet below the ground. Think about that. All the way down to rock. And I wish you could look this up because I couldn't, I couldn't try to explain to you going that deep. But they keep it from flooding because of the Hudson River was above 70 feet underneath those World Trade Center. They had to build an elaborate way to keep that building from flooding down in the bottom part of it. But the foundation was impenetrable. It did, the foundation didn't fail on September the 11th. It was a structure above. So I want to I remind you that the foundation of your life should be the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be your foundation. Many of us remember the bicentennial celebration of Independence Day. 
1976. It was a great celebration. Uh, I was in Royal Rangers and I rented a Minutemen outfit and we had an incredible powwow. Thousands of boys on July the 4th, we just had a great time at a powwow. And we celebrated that. A lot has happened since that celebration. You could say amen on that. A lot has happened in the last four or five years, right? We live in, I think we can all agree that we're living in troublesome days. We're living in unusual days. Our nation is not well. I wish I could stand up here and say our nation is healthy, but it's, it's not well. We have a number of things and uh, the question I have for you this morning is this. Do you believe that God sovereignly and intentionally established this nation for his will and for his purpose? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be easier to answer that question if you're like, well, did God want America to be in existence? And I think as we explore some things, I'm not going to make this a history lesson, so don't get worried. Uh, I did a little math, though, to, to, say, to show you how young our nation really is. I mean, two, 247 years, and this really wasn't, it's kind of odd how we registered the birth of our nation. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, they just signed it. They had to fight for it. So we don't celebrate when the war was over. We just celebrate when the colonies agreed and signed that Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, 1776, that we were going to separate from England. I've, I did a little percentage calculation on how old I am, and, and I'm not really that old. <coughs> not really. <laughs> My lifespan has covered 29% of our nation's existence since 1776. You think about a person who's 100 years of age, they've lived 40% of our nation's celebration. That's how young our nation is. You have to go over to Europe, and in Europe, the nation, we, we think something 200 years old here is amazing. They go back 1,000 years for stuff. And it just shows you that this nation, to come as far as we've come, it wasn't and it hasn't been an accident. I believe God still has a plan for America. And I believe that we are really a strategic part of that plan. Um, are we losing our influence in our world? Is America losing its influence internationally? And like I said, I'm not going to make this a history lesson, but if you want to read a good book, read David McCullough's 1776 book. And there's one I'm going to mention as well, and that's The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall and David. Um, trying to remember his last name. David Manuel. David Manuel. Both of them have since deceased since writing The Light and the Glory. I'm going to take you to some verses here, if you will. Go with me to Genesis chapter 18 and just kind of go through a foundational thing about God's purpose for our nation. And can we look at our nation that God has a specific purpose for it? 
Listen to the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 18. I'll begin reading with verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth. This was right when the angel visited Abraham and told him that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. This is God's sentiment about Abraham. He's going to become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For the Lord said, I have chosen him so that he may direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. If you go over to Genesis 22, you find a similar statement. And this is right after God has stopped him. He's been, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac on that altar. And as the Lord stopped him, the Lord had this to say to him because he saw Abraham's faith. What was his faith? The Bible tells us he believed that Isaac was the promised one, that if he actually killed his son, that God was going to raise him from the dead. That's how, that's how he was able to bring the knife back and was ready to sacrifice his son in obedience to God. And God responded this way. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, here it is, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I don't believe that Abraham had any idea the scope of that blessing. The three prominent monotheism religions in the world today all claim Abraham as their strategic father of their faith. Judaism, Christianity, and of course Islam claims Abraham. We know that God gave Abraham in the scriptures that he was promising a, a Messiah that would come in the form of his son, the incarnate son of God, Jesus Christ, that he would be that answer. All nations of the world will be blessed through the person of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, that his son would be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. This is how the nations will be blessed through Abraham. Not because of the laws and, and the strategic things that Abraham believed and stood for, but because what came from his line, his descendants, was the Son of God. God had a sovereign purpose in the birth of America. Do you believe that? The promises in Genesis are echoed in the closing words of Paul's letter to the believers in Rome, chapter 16. These are the closing words. Listen to this as well. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God, be glory forever through 
Jesus Christ, amen. So where does America fit within that passage? These verses. The nations will believe and obey. I'm going to take a look at the Mayflower. Is that all right for you? A little bit, a little bit of history. And the pilgrim's arrival in 1620. What a journey. We all know that they were going to come across that great ocean in two ships. But one had problems in the congregation of about 100 people that had made an appeal to the Virginia company to sponsor them on this journey to the new world. Jamestown had been formed just before this, but it was a tragic failure. It, it, all of the people either died or left. And this was the second excursion. The Virginia company was one of the sponsoring companies that was financing these excursions. And so the congregation was cut in half. But the pastor, John Robinson, did not make the trip. He stayed behind when they had to decide who was going to go and who wasn't. But William Brewster was on that, uh, on the Mayflower. And they approached the Virginia Company. And I'm going to read something to you that they wrote to the treasurer of the Virginia Company and why they were wanting to go and establish a new camp, a new settlement in Virginia. They were supposed to go to Virginia. These are their exact words. We verily believe and trust the Lord is with us, and to whom and whose service we have given ourselves in many trials, that he will graciously prosper our endeavors according to the simplicity of our hearts therein. We are knit together as a body in the most strict and sacred bond and covenant of the Lord to care of each other's good of the whole by everyone and so mutually. They believed that God was leading them to America to build a new Jerusalem, a new place of worship without government interference. And according to the grace of God, they didn't land in Virginia. They landed far north off of Cape Cod in Massachusetts. So the contract with the Virginia Company was pretty much nil and void. So that's why they did the Mayflower Compact. They signed it on November the 11th, 1620 and expressed their faith, their confidence in God that this is where they were supposed to land. It wasn't what they planned, but God had put them and they established a new covenant just on their own in Cape Cod. There wasn't any signs there saying no trespassing. <laughs> Nobody can land here. Nobody can build something here. There it was just waiting for them. It couldn't have came out better. But boy, did the, the, the troubles and trials, the loss of life, but they survived when Jamestown didn't survive. By the way, here's a trivia. Jamestown was not the first settlement in what we know as America. Does anyone know who the, what the first settlement was? Well, you raise your hand. No, sir. You're close. St. Augustine. St. Augustine. Just go to St. Augustine and they'll let you know <laughs> that they preceded Jamestown. It was a Spanish settlement. Jamestown was the first English settlement. And then the Plymouth Rock, Mayflower, was a second settlement. 
Less than 80 years after they landed on Cape Cod, Jonathan Edwards was born. And he would have a major influence on the spiritual climate of the new world. Listen to this. He entered Yale University just shy of his 13th birthday. He became the valedictorian of his class and went straight into the ministry. Someone says, well, what a waste of intelligence. No, he was a tremendous preacher. And he preached the iconic sermon that was not even in his home church. It was in... Connecticut, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He'd already preached it to his own congregation. I guess they didn't have the same response as this other church. He had. He had already preached it in his own congregation. By the way, his own congregation dismissed him. You know, because he was complaining about the parents allowing their children to read certain things and they had their feel, feel of him trying to tell them what to do, so they dismissed him. But in that message, sinners in the hands of, of an angry God, there was a move of God and, and people collapsed on the ground, crying out, repenting. And it was, it was the catalyst for the first great awakening. Just 80 years after these pilgrims came for the purpose of establishing a place of faith, of worship. He went on to be the president of the College of New Jersey, known now as Princeton. And the year that he became president, he took a smallpox inoculation and died from it at the age of 55. Can you imagine someone having that kind of impact in such a short life? It just shows you how God can use a person to affect the spiritual climate. And yet the question remains, why America? Why us? Why do we have this incredible nation after such a short history? And why does the world, I think the world still looks toward us in many ways for ideas. But it just doesn't pan out in the time frame that we have been as a nation. Great revivals took place before 1776. We had people like John Wesley come from England and preached in the colonies before 1776. George Whitfield came and preached all across New England. One of the most powerful preachers, Frank, Benjamin Franklin said, that voice, that voice that echoed over crowds of thousands without a microphone, without amplification, he had this incredible voice and this move of God. He actually preached himself to death. He preached almost every day, multiple times a day. And the last day he preached, he was not well, and he died the next day and is buried right there in Massachusetts. Great preacher. This was 1770, just less than six years from the colonies voting. There was George Whitfield coming from England. He, he wasn't far what the colonies wanted. Neither was John Wesley. He thought it was wrong for the for us to secede from England. But there was this passion within our, our leadership in our country that we needed to stand on our own. We're told so many things through the media that is really flawed. I'm, I'm, only, I'm not going to go back to 1620, but I want to tell you the 1619 project is a, com <laughs> is a complete ruse. It, it's not true. 
And it's even been admitted that it's not true. But there's this effort to make our nation something that's sinister. And there, we, we do have our, our failures as a country. There's no doubt about it. We, we've, we've done things as a nation that's really atrocious. But this nation was founded on the principle that God wanted America to exist. So I'm going to take you back to Christopher Columbus. And I know in many places he's kind of looked upon as the villain. That he was the one who brought all of these problems to indigenous people. Can I just stop here and say I'm okay with indigenous day But how in the world can anyone carry the gospel according to what Jesus said without someone going to the nations? We have to go to the nations. America was not, did not have Christianity registered anywhere in this country prior to the arrival of the pilgrims. They were the first Christian witness. But on the light and the glory, Christopher Columbus, an Italian map maker, and he had other jobs that he did, but he and his brother just had this passion. There's, a, there's another way to the Indies. There's another way that's east of us by going west. How about that? <laughs> and they knew, they knew from other people that we were on a globe. It wasn't like you're going to sail off the edge and... You know, the earth is a, is a flat thing. They knew that there was a way there. There was just nobody that had taken the risk. He and his brother and others that appealed to king, the king of England, the king of Portugal, the king of France, the king and queen of Spain, all of them turned him down. Many of them, many of them thought it was a joke. They laughed him out. Said, there's no way. That's a crazy idea. There's no way we're going to fund that. It's going to take a huge amount of money for three ships, fully manned by seasoned mariners and, and supplies for a year to go off trying to find a western route to the Indies. Peter Marshall came across an obscure journal of Christopher Columbus. It was in Spanish. And he read what I'm about to read to you in a church service in New England in the early 70s that exploded within that congregation. David Manuel was sitting in. He was, that was his home church. A spark was ignited in his soul. And other people says, we will go into the archives. Peter Marshall went to Yale. He had access to a lot of things in the library. And this is... What he read from Columbus's journal. It was the Lord who put into my mind. I could tell his hand was upon me. The fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There's no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit. Because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. I am a most unworthy sinner. But I've cried out to the Lord for grace and mercy, and they have covered me completely. I have found the sweetest consolation since I made it my whole purpose to enjoy his marvelous presence. 
For the execution of the journey to the Indies, I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. It is simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. No one should fear to undertake any task in the name of our Savior. If it is just and if, it is, if, and if the intention is purely for his holy service, the working out of all things has been assigned to each person by our Lord. But it all happens according to his sovereign will, even though he gives advice. He lacks nothing that is in the power of men to give him. Oh, what a gracious Lord who desires that people should perform for him those things for which he holds himself responsible. Day and night, moment by moment, everyone should express their most devoted gratitude to him. Columbus felt that he was called to bring the light of Christ to undiscovered lands. He never came close to what we know as America, the United States. He never even came close to this part, North America. It was Ferdinand, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella who finally agreed to sponsor the expedition. But only because a monk that had favor with Queen Isabella went on his behalf to convince her that this was about the Lord's work. This is about the kingdom of God. You know, we're about to celebrate our nation's declaration of independence. But I hope we don't forget that the hand of God has been on our nation. What stands in the way of us getting back to the kind of nation we need to be? What stands in the way? What inhibits us from seeing a great move of God, a renewal? Is it one dimension or is it multidimensional? I want to finish with something that God gave King Solomon in a promise after the dedication of that first temple, an elaborate, tremendous edifice to the glory of God. These are familiar words, but I want to read them to you again. This is going to be out of the King James. If my people, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Was that only for Israel? Was that a promise that was just limited? If my people who are called by my name. We as believers are those people as well. Called by his name, Christians, Christ's followers. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Pray. It might be multidimensional if we break these up. A renewed passion for prayer, for seeking the face of God, whether it's in your home or in the morning or in the evening or throughout the day, this passion for prayer, this passion to be in the presence of God and to communicate with him and pour out our hearts to him and pray. 
and seek my face. What is that? What is seeking the face of, of God? It is seeking his presence. It is pressing into his presence. And then he says, and turn from their wicked ways. I thought about these steps. Are these steps? Does it have to be in this order? He said, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal. It's a pretty strong promise, isn't it? And will heal their land. I thought about this. Humble themselves, pray and seek my face. I think there's a reason why God spoke it to them this way without starting off. If my people will turn from their wicked ways and then humble themselves and pray and seek my face. It doesn't fit, does it? Because all of the things that he tells us enables us to really identify where we're out of sort with God. Where we should be stopping what we're doing or how we're talking or our thinking or our practices or our habits. That if we find the habits that he wants us to have, it comes from seeking his face, turning our souls over to him, worshiping him, praying, being in his presence. That enables us to identify what is wrong with us. And then we can turn from our ways and he will Bless us, he will heal us, and he will heal our land. He will forgive our sin, and he will heal our land. Prayer is seeking the face of God. I believe this is for us. I believe it's for America, but I believe it's for me. I believe it's for us. I want our praise team to come back. I, I really cannot... I'm asking along with myself, don't we want a greater passion for God's presence? Don't we, don't we need a greater passion for God's presence? It can't be something that's casual. It has to be a, something that's inside of us, a hunger, a thirst to wake us, Lord. Wake our hearts. Stir our hearts. To pray, to pray, to seek his face. I don't even know how in the world we came to make prayer a formal thing. You know, that, that we close in prayer, we open in prayer, and I, that, that's fine. But this talking to God, talking to Jesus, communicating with him, asking him, Lord, show me, show me. Reveal yourself to me. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where my ideas are in conflict with your purpose for me. I will I'll repent more when he presses me. We repent, we re, repent easily when he presses us. Like he shows us, he reveals something that where we're out of sorts, we're not, we're not doing something right. We don't have to be doing things that are wrong, but if we're do, not doing that that's right, we're not gaining any ground. So would you just stand with me for a moment and this is what I'm about to ask you to do, but I want you to truly say, Lord, my prayer life is not where it needs to be and where it should be. My passion for your presence, I, I can't gauge that in a number between one and 10. I just, Lord, would you, help us to become honest with who we are and where we're at 
that this nation is not going to be turned around by one person or by many people. It's going to turn when the church, your bride, really surrenders to you. And we become the salt and the light that you told us that we are. But the salt has to be applied and the light cannot be enshrouded with a covering. You've told us we are salt. Apply it. And you told us we are light. Don't hide it. And I I fear, Lord, we have hidden both of them from the world around us and from our relationships and our friendships and our jobs. And I pray today on the eve of this anniversary of our nation, one of the greatest days in our history, that you'll press us. You'll press us this morning to seek your face, to turn from our ways as we seek your face. As we cry out to you, Lord, awaken us. Awaken your church, Lord. Your church is powerful. Your church is in this nation. The body of Christ is throughout this country in every state and cities and and small towns and churches all across. There's people in churches all over this state, all over this country that are truly people of God. And, And may today on this Sunday morning there be a rippling effect of the Holy Spirit stirring within your church, Lord, a hunger, a hunger and a thirst for you. How we need you to wake us up, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. And for you to just take a few minutes this morning to kneel where you're at or come to this altar and to cry out collectively, God, awaken your church. Awaken your church, bought by your blood, redeemed by your power, infused with the heaven, the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us and around us. We cry out to you, Lord, that the anointing of your church be restored and our influence be restored. Would you join me this morning just having a time of seeking his face? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.